Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into this show, Dr. Hooper and I take a incredible uh, conversation into a topic that I believe needs a new framework and a new discussion, and that is the world of addiction. It's time to rethink addiction and to start focusing on why the pain, not why the addiction. Learning to audit our lives for areas where we are soothing ourselves with soothing a real problem with a behavior that ultimately is creating long-term pain and suffering. I think this episode will be very, very useful, and I can't wait to get into it with you. See you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wenzel, and I am joined once again by my dear friend, Dr. Brian Hooper. Dr. Hooper, thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> Always. This episode, we're going to be uh, diving into a topic that is around us, but I'm going to encourage us to have a conversation to rethink addiction. I think that the current state of our understanding of addiction is primarily rooted in uh, a medical a definition that it's basically a brain disease and that we need to medicate our way through addiction. And then we have the legal definition of addiction that, you know, it's a choice and people are choosing addiction, therefore it should be punished. I'm hoping to, with someone who has the skills and experience, take a different approach and potentially rethink how we talk about, how we have conversations about addiction. And, and that's why Dr. Hooper is the perfect choice. And I think given this framework, Dr. Hooper, it, it, can you give us, in, in your words, as you understand it, how would you describe or define addiction? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. First, I'd like to start actually with the what's in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that is published by the American Psychiatric Association at the DSM-5, uh, and then give you my riff on that. So this is what they have to say about substance use disorders. In fact, they don't even use the word addiction. Hmm. A cluster of cognitive, behavioral, and physiological symptoms indicating that the individual continues using the substance despite significant substance-related problems. These related problems include impaired control, social impairment, risky use, and pharmacological criteria. Mm -hmm. You know that I'm licensed in the state as a clinical pastoral therapist, so I take a very spiritual approach. That doesn't necessarily mean religious, but it is about the underlying dynamics of our relationship with ourselves, with others and with our sense of the ground of being the all. And for my work that I do, I look at all what we call addictions, which is repetitive either behaviors of the use of substances or be repetitive actions such as gambling or shopping or overworking or oversexing or overtexting or overgaming or whatever it may be. I look at all of those things as a disruption to our relationship with our most authentic selves mm -hmm. and with others mm -hmm. and with our sense of, the, of what grounds us in this universe. 
Yeah, I, I like that. It's a very non-judgmental approach to something that is. I, I, it's very clear to me that this is a misunderstood subject. It is. And when people come into my consultation room to talk about their addiction, whatever that may be, and however they define that, the first thing I tell them is, I have absolutely no judgment. That's not what I'm in the business of doing. Mm -hmm. I'm in the business of evaluating and helping them evaluate what they're doing, why they're doing, where it came from, how they can change it, what they want in their lives. But there's no room for judgment. Mm -mm. In fact, I think I said to you, I know just a few moments before we started this podcast, I said, you know, approaching any kind of an addiction from a, a place of judgment is like the coroner walking into the room and looking at the dead man and saying, uh, excuse me, sir, but you're dead. And that's not a good thing. And you really should stop that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the diagnosis does not provide the medicine. You know, listening to you, I can't help but also think about when we meet somebody who has gone through an addiction and come out the other end, we call that recovery. Right. And when I think about the word recovery, to recover, I mean, I just feel like instinctively to recover, to reclaim, to recapture something based on what you're sharing where we're capturing ourself. Absolutely. And in fact, in Our many authentic cases, self. yes, and in many cases, people are unearthing that authentic self for the first time in their lives. Mm -hmm. They've, they recognize that their lives have been performative mm -hmm. in order to try to keep connection with others and they can't keep that up. So they use substances or behaviors in order to try to get what they really need. And it only gets in the way of their real connections. Mm-hmm. So with that, we have this kind of current state of a lens of looking at addiction, the common way to think about addiction is to think about the opposite of addiction as being sobriety, which I have always struggled with because I don't see it as, I don't see sobriety as the opposite of addiction. But based on these current models, legally and medically, sobriety is the opposite of criminalization. It is the opposite of having a brain disease how would you define, as an extension of your definition of addiction, how do you define sobriety? Yeah, happy to talk about that. For, first of all, the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual doesn't use the word sobriety. It only talks about the cessation of behaviors mm. and people going into what they call remission, either partial or full remission. I actually like the word sobriety, but I'll tell you why. And I understand why you have some concerns about it, because it's completely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Sobriety is confused with simply abstinence. Right. Now, abstinence for some people and some behaviors and some substances, that's the exact right thing to do. And it's part of how they're living sober. OK, so nothing against abstinence. I don't want anybody hearing me say anything negative about it. But abstinence alone is not sobriety. Mm -hmm. Sobriety is about our clear minded relationship with ourselves. That's what it's about so that we can soberly evaluate how we're navigating in the world, what's going on in our minds and in our hearts so that we're set free to ask questions about, huh, why am I now feeling this compulsion to say this or to do this or to inject this? Where does this come from? 
So with that understanding of sobriety, it really is transformative. That is to say, it's a reformation of ourselves that takes place trans across time as we're beginning to practice knowing ourselves and what our true cravings are and getting those needs met in ways that are whole-making. Hmm. You know, the, the Hebrew word shalom is, is a word that has such a depth of meaning. It doesn't simply mean the absence of conflict. It means the presence of wholeness and well-being. Real sobriety is about stepping into wholeness and well-being. Yeah, no, I've never heard it thought of that way. I I suppose maybe my challenge with the word isn't the word. It's the relationship that the word has with our current understanding of addiction. That the focus is on the addiction and not why the addiction. Gotcha. The focus is that this is either a disease we need to medicate so that you can be sober, or it's a choice that someone's making legally and we need to punish them into sobriety. When really, if what we're saying is recovery is coming back to your authentic self, Mm -hmm. by definition, that means somebody who's struggling with addiction is incapable of authentically reconnecting back to themselves and they're doing the best job that they can with the tools and resources and support system that they have Mm -hmm. to soothe this disconnect of not being connected to your authentic self. And it's a piss poor substitute from what they really, really need, right. which is why it always ends in pain. Well, and there's always some trauma that underlies mm-hmm. the use of substances or behaviors that people lose control. One of the things I talk about with my clients and patients, really virtually every one of them, is self-soothing and self-parenting. Mm-hmm. And it gives me great joy when In subsequent sessions, somebody comes back and says, well, this happened, and I started talking to myself, and I started coaching myself, and I started being curious about where did this idea come from that they won't like me if I don't have a drink with them, you know? A a friend of mine uh, just posted on Facebook this morning that he had sent a memo to all of his confreres in his internship position saying, essentially, I'm not shunning all of you. I don't drink. And that's why I don't meet you at the bars. And his friends came back and said, we really need to reinstate our lunch meetings once a week so we can be together. Mm. Those are completely alcohol-free meetings because they recognized Mm -hmm. that they wanted connection with him and that they could have that without having alcohol involved. And what's Mm -hmm. moving me as I tell you about Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is just that the importance of connection, we are all craving it. And as you said, Mm -hmm. unwanted repetitive behaviors that control us and the use of substances is indeed a piss poor substitute and never meets the deepest authentic need. I heard someone say that began me on this journey of rethinking addiction. It was actually Dr. Gabor Mate, who brilliant man. I've come to appreciate him over the years in an increasing fashion, but he's a real thought leader in addiction, ADD, trauma. And he says the opposite of addiction is connection. Yes. And I just absolutely love the imagery that that creates 
and when you think about people who are engaged in addictive patterns, it's, as you say, they're all began in trauma. There's Mm -hmm. some painful event Mm -hmm. and it can be something happening to you, but it can also be something that didn't happen to you that needed to you. And as you have taught me so well about the value of parenting, not only your children, but parenting yourself. The first step in parenting, as I understand it from you, is to rescue, right? Well, it's, uh, yes, and sometimes that's where we have to start off. But that's oftentimes where parenting begins, and as all mammals, as all infant mammals are scared. Oh, they're reliant on their parents. They go to their protective figures. Yes. And it's not a disease. It's not a weakness. That's right. The role of a parent is to rescue. I see you and I see that you're afraid. It's and then you what are the steps again? Help me remember the parent. Well yes, and and in this context you're absolutely right, uh, the rescue part. We have to learn to rescue ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the four functions of parenting to pare it down, and there are more than these, but this is the basics, is to encourage, Mm -hmm. go out and check out your world. I've got your back. Number two to rescue when the child gets too close to the precipice, right? right. And they get scared and they get overwrought. Mm-hmm. Then the third is to run in and scoop them up and say, it's okay, you're fine, mm-hmm. and lend your security to them. And finally, to lovingly correct. So to encourage, to rescue, to console, to lovingly correct. And we need to learn how to do that for ourselves. And then re-encourage again. It's yes. a cycle. Yes, yes. And if we were never parented in a way that is healthy, we how would we know how to rescue if we hadn't been rescued? We don't. That's right. That's right. So in therapy, what happens, or in just a good friend relationship with somebody, the person starts off accepting you for who you are, not judging you for the behavior, and helping you in a friend way to explore and know and accept yourself mm-hmm. yeah this is such a rich topic and i don't pretend to think that we can get through all of it in in one sitting but as an introduction i mean clearly it's moving you went from totally neutral state to incredibly caught in emotion this really represents i would imagine a fair percentage of the work that you do at the core of the work that you do the these in our young years, when we start to experience trauma, painful situations, we only have, as humans, we only have really three practical solutions to trauma. We can run away, we can stand up and assert ourselves, or we can ask for help. Those are really the only three options. But if you're small enough that you can't run away, or you're small enough that you can't defend yourself, and there is no one there to help you, traumas begin to happen and we begin to soothe ourselves with behaviors that aren't always in our best interest. Right. That is a far cry from what we really need, whether it's encouragement, affirmation, rescuing, like whatever, wherever in the cycle we were hurt. Right. Like where did we learn that the only value I bring to the table is through my body. Well, maybe you were hurt physically. Mm -hmm. 
Or maybe you were sexually molested. Right, that's what I and mean. That's the only time somebody showed interest in you. And, and so, how, how can it be a loving, intimate thing? That's how you right, and that's but that's how you go about getting attention. And but it never works. It's right. a redo that never works. So it's this. It's this attempt. You know, it's just an endlessly rich topic, and one that I think deserves to be revisited by people because so many people suffer from this. I do some pretty high-level stuff with really, really high-level people. And I will share that in the quiet of our time, there is some significant trauma that has gone on for decades Mm -hmm. that is being hidden behind the empire of their business. Absolutely. Or the selflessness of their martyrism I don't have time for me by the time I'm done taking care of anywhere else. I can tell you that's a really elegant place to hide. Mm -hmm. And it gets rewarded. Yeah. So they have these admirable addictions. Right. These mind numbing who it seems seem like work. The American dream. Go build something. We actually encourage people to hide in there and to be useful and helpful. But these can absolutely be poor substitutes for what we really want, which is authentic connection to ourself and others. That's right. As I was saying in the first part of our podcast, that addictions are deeply spiritual issues. Mm-hmm. And underneath the addiction, there can be a gift, but it means that there has to be a death. And that's a death to the old way of doing life. Okay? That means a free fall, no longer holding on to what we think of as a support and the substance or the behaviors, mm-hmm. but the, they were never our friends in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, but we have to trust that there is something in us that is capable of catching us. Mm-hmm. And that's the broader connection to life itself, that life is good and true and beautiful even when we're not experiencing it. I come from a Christian tradition, and I'll I'll mention this not because I'm trying to teach any doctrine, because this principle is universal and deeply spiritual. There's no new life without a death. Mm -hmm. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. And again, it's the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. setting out without the old, quote, safeguards, which were really never safe in the first place, to venture into a new land, a new kingdom. And that land is a new relationship with ourselves and others and all of creation. Yeah, I mean, you see it all through nature, right? Absolutely. I, I mean... It's death, a cycle, death and is, it's beautiful. Death is just as much part of life as exactly, birth. Exactly. And unfortunately, that gets overlooked, misunderstood, discarded mm-hmm. in the triumphalism of a lot of religiosity in the United States. It's <laughs> That's another about, episode, but yeah, yes, that, Big, that is... Uh, bigger, bi- bigger, better, higher, faster, brighter, more expensive. Mm-hmm. And honest to goodness, the things that matter most are not the stuff we can hold in our hands, but as I like to say, the hands that we can hold and that somebody else has our hands in theirs too. Mm-hmm. It's the connection. Yeah, I just finished a whole series uh, last month on the art of fulfillment, mm. why success is never enough. Mm-hmm. And as it's been told, the ultimate failure is success without fulfillment. I mean, to, to become successful but yet feel void. 
of the true connection to yourself. Who am I? Right. No, like, yeah, at the rawest level, who is Aaron? What does he love? What makes him come alive? What is he afraid of? What does he hope for? What is he curious about? To be able to have real answers to those questions, I think, is the ultimate gift. Absolutely. And and to feel that connection with myself and then be available for true, authentic, full connection with another and other human beings. This is the story of the human experience at the highest right. level of knowing yourself, know thyself. Right. And then to con- commune with other individuals who are on their own individual journey, authentically connecting is just an unbelievably beautiful thing. And somewhere along the line, we experience pain. And it really isn't about why the addiction, it's about why the pain. And if we could really do a better job at identifying why, why are you hurting? Mm-hmm. And w- what does that behavior do for you? What is that soothing? What's soothing the anxiety? Why is there anxiety? Mm-hmm. And begin the conversation there from, as opposed to the judgy of the behavior. If, we, if it was less about the behavior and that if we could use the behavior as a flag to dig here, there's some pain here. Here's the question I would like to ask people to ask themselves. Mm. Stop asking what's wrong with me and start asking what happened to me. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to me? Yeah. Because that's a place of, that launches us into deep understanding. Mm-hmm. And it's a place of self-empathy. Mm-hmm. Just so hard for folks. I mean, I get it. I understand. What are the consequences of not asking that question? Continuing to perpetuate the same behaviors over and over, hoping that we'll get a different result, and we never do. Disappointment, depletion of energy, what self-esteem a person might have, which I believe is the reputation they build with themselves, continues to diminish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the result of not taking action. And you know as a physician, the, the physiological results. I mean, if say alcohol alone and cirrhosis, but even if it's not a substance, it's the release of the release of corrosive cortisols continually when people are living in a state of anxiety over their behaviors because they're afraid they're gonna get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if physically even if physiologically it isn't a disease that is affecting your physiology in that sense, like tobacco or alcohol or drugs, the consequences could certainly be living in loneliness forever. Right. Right. Living in anger, fear. Yeah. Being bound. It's really an imprisonment. It is. The pain, the source of pain becomes the prison. I wrote a blog recently on the psycho-spiritual approach to treating mental illness, and it's been a few months back now, I guess, and one of the comments I made was, we say that we have a disease, but the reality is the disease has us. In other words, it's like a diamond, which is the old Greek word that gets translated demon, but it's not meaning, mm. it doesn't mean a disembodied little ontological figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it means a whole system, right? A system of being. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it takes over and takes control of us. 
that whole does it have me or do I have it? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's not, a, you know, we use words like disease. Well, if it's understood as I'm no longer easy with myself, okay. But too often it's thought of as something that uh, that I'm hosting. And I, I, I think somehow it's more helpful to think of it's something, it's a system that has me in its grip, mm-hmm. but not intractably so. Because, and it's for a reason. Right. Because something happened. Something happened. Right. There you go. And really getting clear on what happened can begin the journey. Right. Especially if you need to find your person to talk about this, to take this journey with in a very safe, empathetic, non-judgmental, gentle way. And not lose track of ourselves. It's not as if, it, it's not as if we cease to be. We're still under that. Even when we're in its grip, the real person's there, and we need to recover. That. Which is what creates the conflict. Right. Because you're not your genuine self. Right. You can feel the conflict. Right. Yeah. Without being your genuine self, but yet you are incapable, despite your best effort, to recover yourself. Right. And yeah. I couldn't be more bullish on folks who have identified in an area of their life getting with a real professional to help them mm-hmm. take the journey to healing. Mm-hmm. And I guess that leads me to some kind of closing thoughts. If someone's listening to this kind of two part, part one would be, is there a general technique or recommendation that you would give to someone to regularly audit their life for areas that they may be underestimating an addiction as we have defined it as a, you know, some sort of behavior that is temporarily bringing you either pleasure or relief and subsequently craving that behavior that ultimately is creating long-term pain and suffering and you can't stop on your own. Defining it that way, whether it's shopping or internet browsing or one of those things, is there a way to audit for them, and then part B would be, is there a systematic approach to the first one to three steps they can take to getting Mm -hmm. some help? Mm -hmm. I think my first rule of spirituality is to be awake to what's going on in me, between me and you, and around me in the world. And I would ask myself, how is the use of a substance or an engagement of a behavior affecting my, Mm. my being awake? Mm. Is it clouding my vision? Is it getting in the way in, in terms of being recognizing what's going on inside of me? So it's about giving up denial, really. So is it an enhancer or a number? Right. Is this right. A, enhancing my cognitive state, the quality and depth of my relationships? Right. Or is this to numb myself? As a, Is it pain-driven or potentially? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. Or is it a false protective thing? Mm -hmm. Well, I can only socialize if I have a couple drinks under my belt because it's just too scary otherwise. Mm -hmm. You know, well, Mm -hmm. then I probably need to experience scary. Uh (laughs) Because that's not scary. Uh -uh. Yeah. Yeah. Steps to take? Well, I think being honest with self and then being honest with somebody else and then making a plan to get the help a person needs. It's like any project. We, we have to look and assess what the need is and gather the things that we need to pull it off. For instance, it's very hard to start living without alcohol 
if you've got a full bar in your house. You may just have to pack it up and send it away. Mm-hmm. And when people are willing to do that, that shows real commitment. Mm-hmm. That they really want to work on the relationship with themselves. Well, any behavior change, one of the most effective techniques is to change your environment. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. That's uh, why people, you know, <laughs> I had one young lady I was working with. She said, well, I'm a little confused because I see you and we do some hypnosis work and you talk about my own power and I'm powerful over alcohol. And then I go to AA and they tell me I'm powerless, which is mm-hmm. when you leave the alcohol in the bottle at the liquor store, you are very powerful over it. Come on. But when you bring it home mm-hmm. and you open it up, Mm-hmm. It seems to take over, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is not any different than an, somebody not in addiction. I, I have had this conversation about willpower, about how it's just it's never enough to achieve the goals that you want. You have to fundamentally no. change your environment. Yeah. You know, and I should have said this earlier. Uh, maybe it's been implicit, but when people reach for a substance or a behavior, they are reaching for an in, a change of their internal experience. Mm. They want a different, they want a different internal experience. And the clink in the glass and the stopper coming out of the bourbon bottle at night can immediately start changing their inner experience because they have wired their brain by their behaviors to respond to that. That's one of the reasons it's difficult, not impossible, to make these changes and to start living in a way that's truly sober, mm-hmm. okay, that is in reconnection with ourselves. There are ways to change, to experience a different internal state apart from the addiction of, of choice or the substance mm-hmm. or behavior of choice. And hint, it really does begin with your breath, you know, mm-hmm. being able to be with yourself and take a breath. Mm-hmm. and learning how to soothe yourself. We can release new, not new, we can release the neurochemicals that we need in three minutes of breathing and soothe ourselves. The very thing we're looking for oftentimes with a substance or behavior. I really enjoy you clarifying that that is an incredible framework to think about when we're looking for an external solution to an internal problem, that's the first sign. Yeah, we probably should good. we should audit here. Right. Well that, said. Be, because well this said. is an internal issue. Right. We're looking to soothe on a soul level. Right. And we create mechanisms from outside of our internal soul to soothe. That's usually a pretty good sign that we could improve some behaviors. Absolutely. Dr. Hooper, I appreciate you on many, many levels. And I think that you're a gift to the world. And I think that your your skill set changes lives. And I'm grateful to capture some of your wisdom and your thoughts, document them. You have helped me understand numerous things that I thought I understood pretty well, but in ways that are far richer and more dynamic mm-hmm. and ultimately more useful to other people, mm-hmm. which my great goal is to be useful to people. As um, is mine. And, and, and I know that, and I think that's why we connected very early. And so any famous last words as we kind of close this episode up? Hmm. The, um, the substance does not love you. Mm-mm. The um, behaviors don't love you. 
you need to learn to love you, mm-hmm. to accept you. Acceptance and the promise to love yourself, even if you don't know how to do that, is a pretty good place to begin that reconnection journey. That's amazing. Where do people find out more about you? They can go to my website, drbrianhooper.com. And feel free to send me an email through that site or, or call me and love to chat. I'm biased, but he's incredibly gifted. And if you're struggling with this topic and you live in the Nashville area, he's a great resource. So until we see you again. All right. See you, Doc. Okay. You too. Bye. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.